Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor. Hi, it's Patrick Cox here, and welcome to another lockdown edition of Subtitle, brought to you by Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America. You know the way that proper reporters say at the end of their reports, I'm so-and-so, so-and-so in such-and-such a place, Boston or whatever. Well, here's my location again, under the blanket. Yep, it's the same blanket as last time. Fleece, graphic patterns, three shades of purple. And just to add to the glamorous scene, chez moi, right outside, there's a food delivery truck that's just showed up to drop off supplies to the 7-Eleven next door, I think. Idly, as trucks do. Kind of loudly. This is the life. Today, I talk with bilingual comedian Joanna Hausman, who's, you know, like the rest of us, stuck indoors. But she's making jokes about it. If you haven't come across Joanna, she's Venezuelan-American. She's a correspondent on Bill Nye Saves the World on Netflix. And I know her best, I think a lot of people do, from a series of videos she does called Joanna Rants. So today, I'm going to show you how to identify different countries' accents. This is one of my favorites. So let's begin with Mexicano. Mexicans sound like a fast beat poet who's always out of breath. Or carrying something super heavy. No mames, güey. Quiero terminar esta oración para poder respirar porque me estoy sufocando. Hear the air running out of their... Whoa, I'm dizzy. Argentinians You can find a bunch of these videos on YouTube, some mainly in English, some mainly in Spanish. As far as I can tell, Dominicans only speak one word, and it is all of the words. They talk so fast, it sounds like verbal cursive. I tried to do this one, but it is it is too hard. So I brought in an expert, an actual Dominican. I only caught vaina because I literally thought that was a Venezuelan word. Cubans, every time I talk to you, I feel like I may have interrupted your dentist appointment. Are you still on a little bit of Novocaine? So here's our conversation. First up, Joanna told me where she's holed up right now. I left New York City right before everything sort of hit the fan to come visit my parents in Western Massachusetts. So I'm in the Berkshires, isolated from any other human being other than my family. (laughs) So it's just the three of you there, you and your mom and dad? So my mom, my dad, my husband, and my little cousin, who I have forced to edit my videos for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're like a nice uh, group of five. By the looks and sound of it, Joanna has her cousin editing 24-7. She's churning out a bunch of material, short gags that she posts on Twitter, a thing about her relationship with her parents, more on that in a bit, and a song in Spanish about the frustrations of staying at home. No tengo excusa para no responder WhatsApp. Esos memes boomer que me mandan mis papas. Joanna's always been comfortable with having several audiences, English-speaking, Spanish-speaking, Americans, in the broadest sense, from all over the Americas. She says each audience comes with its own set of expectations. But right now, in this moment, it's different. I always say, for comedians, context is so important, right? Like, you can make a joke for one group of people, and then you can make a joke for another group of people, and it all depends on what context that audience has. And we're living in this weird phenomenon where everyone sort of has the same context, 
Perhaps it changes a little bit here and there, but generally you don't have to explain things to people to say or type a quarantine joke because everyone understands what it feels like. So as a comedian, it's been a weird environment where I feel like my jokes can hit in the US, it can hit the same in Venezuela, my home country, even though language is different, it can hit the same in Russia, it can hit the... So it's like the world has become weirdly smaller. That's really interesting. I mean, your humor plays on difference rather than similarity quite often, right? I mean, like that video about all those different Spanishes spoken across Latin America. And now wow. all of a yeah. sudden you're confronted with this sameness everywhere. That's such an interesting takeaway that I hadn't even noticed on my own. But you're so right. My entire career has always been contrasting cultures, whether that be English and Spanish, whether that be, as you said, Spanish accents in Latin America, whether that be different dictators in Latin America in comparison to some leaders that we have here in the States. <laughs> but I think within that, there's this universality of the reason why I compared specifically Latin American cultures is to showcase also our similarities in some way. So everyone sees Latinos as the same in the States and pointing out our differences is a way of celebrating our unique like brotherhood, but simultaneously respecting our different cultures. Avocado, nature's butter, brunch's rising star, and the fruit no American can open without slicing their hand apart. Avocado comes from the Spanish word aguacate, which comes from the Aztec word aguacate, which means testicle. That sameness and, and difference, are the ways that you've found maybe when you've spoken to relatives in Venezuela or elsewhere about differences in how they're experiencing quarantine? There's a, just a plethora of experiences within my friends and then my family. So I have so many friends from here in the States and, you know, it's very funny. I tell them that I'm quarantined with my parents and most of them go like, oh, Jesus, really? What a nightmare. I'm like, no, that, why would it be a nightmare? <laughs> my I mean, in Latin America, we have an, an, these multi-generational homes, right? So in our culture, if your grandma lives with you and you still live with your parents at 30, like that's completely regular and normal. The family structure is so deeply ingrained in our culture. And, you know, that's kind of what happened in Italy, which is the reason why this pandemic spread so viciously is because of these multi-generational homes, the importance of family, the amount of times you see your grandparents and your cousins and your great aunts and your great uncles. So for me, the idea of of going through this pandemic without some semblance of a family structure that I've lived with my whole life, for me, it just felt impossible. It felt so daunting. And then back home in Venezuela, the people that are with the most amount of family members are doing the best. <laughs> and those that are the most isolated are, are not doing so great. And, you know, in Venezuela, I think it's particularly hard now that, you know, the light goes out, the water goes out. So on top of quarantine, you have these really difficult uh, barriers to living a at least regular quarantine life, um, which I, I do not have to go through. I have my electricity, I have my heat, I have my water, uh, my grocery store delivers, you know. I'm right. so deeply lucky within these constraints. 
This is my parents' house, the place I've been quarantined for the past three weeks. Now, at the beginning of this whole thing, I was concerned that maybe my parents would start treating me like a kid again. But it turns out I've been parenting my parents. No question, Joanna's lucky. Me too. Anyone who's not imperiled in some way or other is lucky. But imperiled or not, many millions of us are spending a lot of time with family. And Joanna... She makes oh, no. videos at that Those time. Short shorts. All I'm asking for is a moment for myself with you with me. With my book. I'm getting this weird sadistic pleasure of giving my parents a taste of their own medicine. And I don't mean like the nurturing and constant love and support part. I mean like the, the annoying part. Ma! 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 Can you help me with the laundry? You know, a lot of people are like... The oh, video that you made about parenting so your parents, I showed that to my 14-year-old kid. She loves it. She, of course, wants to try it out now on me and my wife. <laughs> You look cold, I brought you a sweater. Joanna. Oh, look at you, look at you when you were little. Look at you when you were little. So but I was sort of painfully aware of that parental way of speaking that you highlight in that. You know, it's loving and it's also totally intrusive and a little bit superior. I think you capture that really well. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it certainly made me think about my own parental voice. There's something very, very specific about a way a parent speaks to their child. And I didn't notice it until this quarantine when, actually not even the quarantine, right when the pandemic began, I noticed myself worrying so deeply about my parents that I suddenly understood why they said that they're destined to worry about me their whole life. <laughs> that no matter how big I get, their worry just seeps through all of their experiences. <laughs> and I think a lot of people in my generation feel worry for their parents' generation. And I, I caught myself talking on the phone in a way I did not recognize myself. <laughs> I was stern and unforgiving also loving. And I realized that's exactly how my parents spoke to me my entire life <laughs> when they were afraid for me. So, you know, there's all these jokes on Twitter about how like, there's one one tweet and I, I don't remember who wrote it, but it was along the lines of like, in a crazy turn of events, I am now yelling at my parents for going out. That really succinctly expresses, I think, this weird switch in generational responsibilities where I think... I'm deeply worried for my parents and I, I have to be stern with them. <laughs> and um, weirdly, the sternness, although in the video is, is in English, the sternness comes out in both languages very differently. Oh, tell it, me it, about that. And she does, right after the break. I love that Subtitle is a member of the Hub and Spoke Collective. There are about 10 of us, 10 podcasts, what we talk about in our podcasts is different. The Lonely Palette, for example, is about art. Soonish is about future technology. Iconography is about all of the icons all around us and what they say about us. What we have in common, though, are ideas. Each of us is trying to wrestle down pretty complex stuff and make it something we can really engage in with you, dear listener. So go to the Hub & Spoke website, browse and find yourself a new favorite podcast. I didn't tell you the name of the website. That's because I'm not professional. Maybe I can just blame it on the lockdown. It's hubspokeaudio.org. Back now with comedian Joanna Hausman. 
who was about to launch into how to be stern in Spanish versus in English. So there's something about English that's very cutting, right? It has a great economy of words. You say exactly what you want very quickly. And um, and the bad words are very staccato, right? So, so when I want to tell them like something which is like an absolutely not, English is such an efficient language. She's not coming over. I'm wearing a mask. No, she's not. Mommy, Gabriela's not coming over. Hey, Dad, remember when you lectured me for like seven hours because I didn't know who Warren Buffett was? Bodak Yellow. Cardi B. What the hell is that? Oh, my God. Remember when you but then when I feel like the what they're doing is not really responsible, but I don't want to be too... I realize they're adults and they're my parents and I want to be respectful and I want to be sweeter. Spanish is more of that language where I can cushion it a little bit, where I can say, you know, the word mommy is softer for me than the word mom. Um, and so I think using these languages differently to to sort of express this parental feeling I feel to for, towards my parents is is such a weird, um, I'm, I'm having like flashbacks because my mother speaks to me almost entirely in Spanish and then my father speaks to me almost entirely in English and um, their parenting is so different. <laughs> and I don't know if I've ingrained that in my head when I use these two languages. My Spanish, and I think this goes to for a lot of Spanish speakers, but my Spanish is so intrinsically joined to my identity because my Spanish sounds very Venezuelan. I use very Venezuelan words, which I learned from my parents, which my parents used. So it is so conjoined with who I am and who my family is, right? That it, it has this history, this baggage it carries with it. When I say... Queladilla, which is the Spanish word for, it's, it, there's no equivalent in English, but it's like, oh, what, it's, what an annoyance. It's so annoying that it, it's exhausting. That's sort of what that word means. You know, that's something my family uses. It comes with like this like historical significance to my family when I say that word. Meanwhile, in English, it's just kind of like directions or instructions. <laughs> like, there's nothing really tied to it. There's no folklore tied to my English. I didn't learn English from my grandma who taught me this funny word to express when I'm frustrated. No, it's just what I learned in school and what I learned in college. And I use it when I write and it's very efficient and effective and I love it. But it doesn't come with this emotional baggage that the Spanish does. I can see why you might be possibly using more Spanish right now than English, than, than you would do normally. A hundred percent. And, you know... It's so funny because my, my husband's from Colombia and we have generally the same Spanish, but like not a hundred percent, right? You know, our words for toilet or for banana or for annoyance are different. And now I'm in a house where there's four Venezuelans and one Colombian, so he's in a minority. So my Spanish is just, I feel like I've reverted to how I spoke it like when I lived back home, because I've sort of maneuvered my Spanish to be more universal since I moved to the States, since I have friends from Puerto Rico, from Dominican Republic, from Mexico, like you have to cater your Spanish to your audience here. And my Spanish became more just general Latin American Spanish. But here I've just reverted to my high school self. I am saying words I haven't said since I was 18. 
like slang words. It's just so ridiculous to see how language morphs to your environment. Right. What, what kind of words? Can you give me a couple of examples? Sure. Like, there's this, I don't even think it's cool to say anymore, but like, cabilla is like a word in slang in 2007 Caracas, which was like, oh man, eso está cabilla. That, like, that is intense. And I think the word comes from some farm utensil. I don't even know, but it just, all the high school kids used to use it. And I used it recently. And my cousin, who's younger than me, was like, I cannot believe you just used that word. No one uses that word anymore. <laughs> uh, also the word senda, which I guess now that I'm like listing all these to you, all of these slang words just mean something that intensifies the sentence it exists in. <laughs> like senda, barilla, which means enormous barbecue. And now I use senda again. I haven't used it since, I don't know, I, I had a, a night retainer. And I, I feel like these words are just rushing back to me because I'm this household has become like a mini Venezuela, right? Because I don't really interact with people other than my husband, who now has become inherently Venezuelan using all the words we do. Now I'm in a world where, as we've talked about context earlier in our conversation, you don't need context to explain what senda is or what ladilla is or what cabilla is. You don't need, everyone understands what it means. So all these words are coming out all of a sudden. What about what you watch on TV or video or Netflix or whatever? Are you finding that you're making different choices, either alone or together? I think that there's, now there's like this sense of community in this household. So we have to choose things everyone likes. I just want to watch a crime doc. <laughs> like it's not uplifting, but at least it isn't about the sort of existential dread we're feeling right now. I'm curious to hear what you consume too, because in times like these, things that reflect our reality, the, the things that we can watch tend to be comedy. The language of comedy has a way of breaking down the severity while making us feel like we're unified against one enemy, which is what satire is all about. But um, when it's not comedy, when it doesn't have that like level of sweetness to it, like I don't know if I can take this medicine right now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just something so wonderfully uh, accessible about comedy during difficult times, but like drama or like a thriller about what we're going through, like that's just something that I don't think I can emotionally take. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, absolutely. I, I find when in doubt, go to Borat. Oh, oh, yes. You know what? That is something that I used to imitate Borat my entire high school life. Like, uh, they're not how much. And people would get annoyed. Like, my, my brother would be like, please stop. Please, for the love of God, stop. But I feel like if I started doing that now, people would find it charming and endearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've been thinking about it for the past week. It's like, oh, it's time to watch that for the 18th time. This would be the perfect moment. It's such escapism. It really is escapism. <laughs> So, so what do you think, is it too early to think about what you may be learning from this and, and what effect it might have on your own sort of sense of comedy and, and your audiences? I actually, I've learned so much in a month. I've learned more than anything. It's a quote that my friend said to me, which then I realized I think Voltaire said originally, and it's been used by Lord Michaels a million times, but... 
there's this quote, which is, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. We're living in a reality where our capacities of creating things that are perfect are deeply limited. I, I don't have a good camera here, and my editing team is, is busy. I got to make stuff with what I have. And those limitations are weirdly incredible for creativity because the moment you can't do it all, your creativity creates solutions that otherwise wouldn't be there. And so the saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of good, has two lessons, which is one, I've learned to be less precious about what I put out into the world. There's no reason why I shouldn't post that video that I shot on an iPhone or that weird front-facing video of my mom yelling at me a hundred times in Spanish, what am I doing as I go about my day? There's no reason not to upload it. And then simultaneously, it's I should be putting more limitations on myself after this is all over because limitations have truly helped me just create without the expectation of perfection. Yeah, I could totally relate to that. I yeah, mean, right? I'm talking to you with a blanket over my head with <laughs> a, food tr- a loud food truck outside. I'm, I'm so far from perfection. It's so far from perfection, and yet no one listening to this is going to say, I cannot believe he had a food truck outside his house. I mean, with the level of disrespect. <laughs> no one, no one's going to care if, you know, there's some peas that pop. Like, it, it's the content and it's, it's that feeling of being all connected together that I think is the priority right now. Joanna Houseman. She has her own YouTube channel. She's also on Twitter. By the time you hear this, she'll have probably posted a bunch of new stuff. And if you can't spell, I speak as someone who can't spell, Houseman is H-A-U-S-M-A-N-N. If you liked today's episode, please do us a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Go on, it only takes a minute. Almost as short as your daily commute right now. That is such an old joke. Anyway, thank you. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. Thanks also to our co-producers at the Linguistic Society of America and to The World on your local public radio station every weekday. One hour of international news. Yes, international. It's what makes the world go round. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. I'm looking forward to when we get back to normality. I hope the things that I've learned to sort of be happy about and and appreciate, I can continue to appreciate when we're back to normal. Like I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've missed the subway since I've been here. Just the noise of the subway, just the like earth shattering noise of the subway going like past my stop. I hated that noise and now I miss it so much. And I just want to remember how much I miss the things that I thought I hated.